Just when you thought it was safe to go looking for a podcast, you stumbled across us. Fantastic. You're in the right place. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you found the number one podcast in all the land. Okay, just Mississippi. But we're going with that until documentation proves otherwise. Now strap in for the journey from the lower levels of Ridgewood Recording Studios. We are World of Wild. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is your host, William. Welcome back to another episode of World of Wally. And guys, look, I understand it's October. Okay, before we get started, I understand it's October. I understand it's Halloween. I understand you're you're looking for ghosts and goblins and ghouls. You're looking for horror. You're looking for paranormal. I understand that, okay? Guys, next week, I guarantee you, next week's episode, gentleman named Mark Morales, he's a horror writer, director, and producer. We're going to talk about his concept of horror. He kind of redefines horror. We're going to talk about that project. Also, the following week, we're going to have the first of two or three reunion episodes we're going to have for the end of this season. This is a Halloween edition uh, reunion show. We were going to get the group that I interviewed separately for the House in Between uh, documentary that went on. The problem was uh, Brad Cooney was, was really busy and was not able to be part of it. Uh, so we did miss out on him, and we do we did miss the opportunity to speak to him. So that's that's a real blow because I really want to catch up with him, and also uh, John Bullard, who was the very first of the ones that I interviewed. Um, he also had too much going on because, like I said, it is October and it is Halloween, and he is super busy. I really want to talk about his newest book that he's got out. But I was able to get the Weltons, Kendall and Vera Welton, on the phone with me long enough, and we had a little chat, and. Uh, Guys, you're going to want to check that out. That's going to be the Friday, the weekend of Halloween, and some strange stuff happened during the recording. We're going to, I'm going to leave that in and let you guys decide what happened. So anyway, that's going to be our Halloween stuff. But today, this episode, Karen Putz, I had to get her story, and she's got an amazing story. She just happens to be a deaf, barefoot water skier that also embraces her passion and she mentors others to show them how to to embrace their passions and it's an amazing story and you guys want to hear it so after the break hang in there what a putz karen that is episode for today hey guys your host william here quick question are you a first and second amendment kind of person because if you are our new affiliate partner tactical brotherhood is your place if you're looking for ammo, guns, or gear, check out the link in the episode notes and enter code PATRIOT15 at checkout to receive that 15% discount. Also, Tactical Brotherhood, veteran-owned company. Now, back to the episode. All right, guys, and we're back from the break, and as promised today, my guest, Miss Karen Putz. Karen, how are you doing today? fantastic and i'm really thrilled to be here uh for those of you that pick on my accent all the time i don't want my listeners to pick on her accent because her it's going to be defined in her story in just a few seconds so uh 
Karen, first of all, let's start off with what is it like being a putz every morning when you wake up? Um, well, <laughs> first of all, my last name, Putz, I, I gave up a perfectly good last name to marry a Putz. Right. So there's a million and one jokes about being a Putz. In fact, <laughs> there's actually a town named after us in Austria. Okay. So, yeah. We're actually on the map. Okay, so uh, I, I had to ask because, I, and and then and then the worst part of all is your first name is Karen, and you catch a lot of grief. There's a lot of Karen memes on the internet, so uh, you, you, it seems like a double-edged sword for you. Yeah, I often tell my kids that I would be happy to move to an island and be unknown. <laughs> all right, first name, last name like that. All right, Karen. First of all, where are you based out of? I'm based in uh, New York, actually. We just moved to New York from Chicago, so I'm in upstate New York. Upstate New York, okay. All right, so uh, let's let's jump into your story. Let, for my listeners to truly understand what we're about to talk about, we first have to find out about your history, how we got to this point. So tell us a little bit. Go back as far as you need to and tell your story. Well, I was born with normal hearing. Let's go back all the way you know, that to that. So I can remember being able to hear as a child. I started losing my hearing in elementary school, and I got my first hearing aid when I was nine. Naturally, I hated the thing. Nobody around me had hearing aids. Then in high school, I discovered the sport of barefoot water skiing. So picture the water skis and take them away, and imagine water skiing on your bare feet. That was the sport, and I fell in love with it. And then one day, I turned across the wake, and I took a hard fall. I climbed into the boat, and I had gone completely deaf at that point. So at the age of 19, life took a really big turn for me. And I woke up one morning, and I realized I had basically two choices. Because as you can imagine, it was a very dark space in my life. Mm-hmm. And I just realized I had a choice. I could continue in that dark space or I could embrace the journey. And I chose to embrace the journey. And now I say that becoming deaf was the greatest blessing. I met my husband. He's also deaf. And we gave birth to three deaf kids. Okay. So um, a couple of quick questions here. First of all, where were you living to have had the opportunity to embrace barefoot water skiing? We had a lake home in Michigan. Okay. So I would go there on weekends and spend the summers there and barefoot water ski. My older brother was a barefoot water skier. So, so uh, do you still barefoot water ski? Yes, I actually got back on the water at the age of 44. I saw a 66-year-old woman barefoot water skiing on the Today Show. And so I'm doing the math. Okay, I'm only 44. So I got back on the water and I competed for four years and I trained with the World Barefoot Champions. Now I heard you say champions. Were you a champion level barefoot water skier? Um, <laughs> let's just put it this way. I'm pretty darn good at barefoot water skiing. Um, I competed and as you can imagine, there are very few women competing 
at the age of 44 and beyond. So I got first place medals on a frequent basis just by standing up on the water. All right, let's, let's, uh, you, you called losing your hearing a blessing. But let's talk about the adversity of losing your hearing. I know there had to be a lot of adversity to overcome from the loss of hearing. So go back and give us a couple of examples that just, you know, come to the top of your mind uh, as we talk about this, about adversity that you experienced. Well, like I said, it was a very, very dark place because I had grown up being ashamed of being hard of hearing. The world is not kind to people who can't hear. You know, things are not accessible. Um, people do not have patience with people who cannot understand conversation and have a conversation that flows back and forth. So that was a dark turn. But I chose to embrace learning sign language and immersing myself in the deaf community. And from that decision, that's where the blessing occurred because I no longer hid being deaf. I mean, as you see, I had colorful hearing aids. And um, I always say that my world before becoming deaf was like this. And my world after becoming deaf just exploded. Because there is a blessing in all of the adversity that we face, whether it's with our business, our family, our home life. There is always something that teaches us a lesson or something that changes us because of the adversity we face. And if we could choose to look at those blessings, that is where the gift is. I had a curiosity question I want to ask. You were talking about you were on the water, um, actually skiing, took a pretty nasty spill. When you got back in the boat, you realized you had no hearing at all, like you couldn't hear anything. You had also talked about from the time you were nine years old, you had started losing your hearing. Now, did doctors have an explanation? Did, was that just part of the process, or did that one traumatic incident cause the total loss? It's interesting because in 2008, we had researchers come to our house and take blood and research our family because everybody in our family was born with normal hearing and all of us lost our hearing in different ways. And we always thought we were the only family that we knew with that. We were right. We are the only United States family with that particular gene, one of four families in the world. Now you're you're so talking you're talking about your your birth family or are you talking about you're in your husband and your family? Which one are we talking about? I'm talking about a gene in the females in my family. Oh you talking okay, you're talking about before you got so, married, your actual family, your mother, father. All of my mom, yeah, all of my mom's siblings were deaf and hard of hearing. Okay. They were all born with normal hearing. All of my siblings were born with normal hearing, became deaf in different ways. My older brother, the barefoot water skiing, mm -hmm. also lost his hearing from barefoot water skiing, but at the age of 42. So he lost his hearing much later after mm -hmm. I did from the same sport. So your children being born with, with hearing loss, is that's just they a gene that's being passed... Again. 
It's just the genes being passed. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, all right, mm -hmm. okay. There were two, two years, four years, and two years of age when they lost their hearing. Wow, that's a crazy story. So, um, you let me jump back just a second. You lost your your total loss of hearing at nineteen. You said you started at nine. So it was a ten year progression before you lost it completely. Were you already? Like preparing yourself, uh, taking steps, knowing that one day you might wake up and not be able to hear anything? No, because we really didn't know what was going on then. We really didn't understand the progressive nature of the hearing loss in our family. So I didn't expect to go suddenly deaf that day. And um, now we know more. You know, so my kids are very aware that they could. I mean, they've lost a lot of hearing at this point. My daughter lost it very gradually, but they all know that they could wake up suddenly and have absolutely nothing left. That could happen. But they're very much in the deaf world and the hearing world both. But you had already been exposed to the world of, of, uh, of deaf individuals. So you did know some things, like you, I'm assuming you had already started learning or probably already completely knew sign language and, and such as that, correct? I had to learn it at 19. Okay. But my kids grew up with it. Okay. And we moved to a place in New York that has a high number of deaf people in um, Rochester, New York. So everywhere we go, people sign. It's Starbucks. They know some basic sign language. Um, at the local grocery store, they know some signs. So it's very accessible here. So you said where you live, there's a large, there's a majority of individuals that have complete hearing loss? Yeah, there's a huge community here of deaf and hard of hearing people. Is that just by chance, or is that something, is that an environmental issue? It actually started in the 60s with the Rochester Institute of Technology. Okay. They um, had a small college called the National Technical Institute of the Deaf, right. and TLD. And so people come from all over the world to study at this university. I teach there. Okay. And so people come from all over, and they just naturally stay because the community is there. Okay, let's let's shift gears. That the the your backstory is is amazing to this point, and I can't wait to hear about what you got going on now. We're talking about okay. adversity, talking about how you actually embrace adversity. You uh, you you woke up. I mean, you you came out of that incident, that traumatic incident, couldn't hear a thing. You embraced it. It became your calling at this point. Let's say. So tell me about from that point on, what, what did you do from that point on? Like, what was your new vision or your new mission? Well, first of all, two things happened. When I got back on the water, I met the World Barefoot Champion. He wanted to write a book. I had always wanted to write a book. So we ended up writing a book together. So that was where my passion for writing was born from that. Even though from the time I was little, I loved to write. So we ended up writing a book together. Then I wrote another book, and that's this book here called Unwrapping Your Passion. Okay. After writing that book, it just kind of exploded. Life coaching, um, speaking, 
I have courses. So a business came from that where I help people unwrap passion at any age. And people challenge me all the time. Can you really unwrap your passion if you're, you know, at the end of your life in a nursing home? And I say yes. Because passion is actually how you choose to live your life, not what you do. It's not necessarily a career. It's not necessarily any of that. It's how you choose to live your life. Like you have passion for your podcast. You choose to bring that energy into your world. And that's what I teach people to do in my coaching, in my speaking, my courses, you know, tapping into that energy at any age, even if you're at the end of your life age. So we talked about this earlier before we started recording. I, I asked you about the term passion mentor. So you said that I'd never heard of that term before, and you told me why. You told me because you coined the term passion mentor. So if you had to ex explain in like a, just a quick sentence, if you were trying to tell somebody that like me that had never heard of it, what is a passion mentor? Okay, everybody knows what a life coach is, right? Right. You know, it's basically a life coach with the focus of tapping into the energy of passion, of finding your passion. That's what most people think of it when they think of, oh, I want to find my passion. Can you help me do that? So I tell people that I'm a mentor who helps people tap into that energy and live their life in a whole different way. And I especially help people in the second half of life make that the best half of life. Because they put their passion on the back burner because of responsibilities in their life. Yeah. Right. So do yeah. you do you have to when you're when you're mentoring these individuals, uh, do you find it helpful to categorize passion or is it just a kind of a one size fits all kind of mentality? I think passion's misunderstood. If you look at all the mainstream articles out there, it's all about excitement. It's all about living your life at um, like the happiness level. People who chase after happiness, it's a loser. Passion is much the same way or it's understood that way. I turn all that around. When you break it down to the very core, passion is your joy. It's as simple as that. And when I ask you, where do you find joy? Immediately, you can give me a list of 10 different things that bring you joy. Right. The question is, why are you not living at that level? So that's it. The other thing is, there's a secret behind passion, and that is the willingness to suffer. People think that passion is all butterflies and angels, but it's actually the willingness to suffer. So if you are passionate about something, you are willing to get up at 4.30 in the morning and do your craft. Right. That's the thing. The other thing I discovered, there's five levels of passion. Okay. Some people stay at the bottom and they never go anywhere with their passion. And the ones at the top are living it fully. People recognize their passion, they see it, they feel it. That's the top level of living with passion. And why we, many people never get to that top level? They give up. They hit the willingness to suffer and they give up at that point. 
it's too hard. I don't want to do the work. Um, or they think if I have to be miserable about it, then it must not be my passion. Right. And that's not necessarily true. To get to that highest level, you have to combine it all. So I'm assuming your book uh, details and outlines the five the five types of passion or the five levels of passion. So um, to entice everyone to want to go out and get your book, what what are the five levels or the five steps of passion? It doesn't. In fact, this was my first book. I'm actually writing the sequel to this book, and that is where I discovered oh, the five Because writing the first book, I interviewed over 200 people. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out why did these 200 people take the passion and run with it? And why are other people stuck in that cycle of, I don't know what I'm passionate about. What was the difference? And that is when I studied and figured out the five levels. So it's going in the next book. Okay. See, I didn't know that I was setting you up for a second book plug like that. I didn't know I was doing that. So, uh. All right, so what, do we already have a working title for the second book? Um, we do. It's called The Law of Passion. Okay. You've no. heard of The Law of Attraction? The Law of Passion. It's actually The Law of Passion. Is that, uh, a lot of people probably get, when they hear the word passion, they probably, there's a lot of confusion you said. Because um, I know some people, when they hear the word passion, it's automatically a romantic or a physical deal. Uh, you know, I... Me, myself, I'm more of an enterprising, um, you know, more of a uh, motivational, inspirational type. And I, when I think of passion, I think of something that wants to drive me every day to be more successful. Uh, and I know there's a lot of play in the middle there, you know, to work between. So if you're going to help somebody find their passion, you know, you, you, there's a term on your, on your bio information that says, find your passion. How exactly would you help? John Doe or Jane Doe, how would you help them find their passion? Like, what's the process to help them? I actually teach this course at the university, mm -hmm. finding your passion. And at the very end, students learn that they don't find their passion, they unwrap it. It's a gift within us. Okay. When we look externally, we don't find it. But when we look within, that's where it is. Because no one knows themselves better than when they look within. You know what you like. You know what you're curious about. You know what you want to learn more about. You know how you don't want to live. There's all those factors that come into play. When you start lining up your life with the gifts that you have within you, passion naturally comes to the surface. You start doing what you're curious about. You start diving deeper into what you want to learn more about. You start living your life authentically in a way where you and your energy just comes forward and shine through. All right. So everything I'm hearing you say, to me, it seems like it has an underlying theme. Uh, for example, I was talking about... When I think of passion, what I think about, it, and other folks think more of a physical aspect when it, they talk about passion and love and stuff like that. So the problem is when you're chasing that dream, you're trying to find your passion. I know a lot of folks, you know, they suffer from like fatigue or burnout or whatever you want to call it. 
So what is, I mean, it sounds like to me motivation is the underlying theme to find the passion. So what do you, like how, or what do you do, or how do you, um, I don't even know how to recommend, how do you direct or inspire people to find their motivation, to tap into that passion? I have a process that I call um, past, present, and future that I use to help people to get into, to really know themselves better. And that's what I use, looking back in the past, understanding where your mind goes in the present when you're in the middle of a boring task. And what's on your Sunday list? So those are the three things. But here's the thing. A lot of what we do on a daily basis does not contribute to our joy. We are so multicast. We are so externally driven by things that may not bring us joy. That car that you are working so hard for and spending so much money on may give you a little bit of an excitement and that's it. So fundamentally, when you get down to how do you really want to live, you start stripping away the materialistic stuff and you start to really think about if you got to the end of your life today, what would be really important to you? And you might find that the car, the house, the things start stripping away and you might find that, oh, I regret not doing this. Oh, oh, I wish I did more of that. Or, oh, I wish I didn't care so much about this. Those are clues. When you start paying attention to those clues that deflay you away from your joy, that's when you can start directing yourself back to your joy. And that's where you'll find gratitude, you'll find passion, you'll find more simpler things in your life. And that is going to sustain you. That's going to get you to a less regretful life. Uh, truly inspiring. I, let me, uh, before you said you had one book out, you're working on a second book. What other uh, coming upcoming projects do you have? Like, what are you working on right now besides the book? Hmm. Right now, I'm launching a new business in the fall, and it's going to be that focused. That's one. The other thing is, we just moved to New York, and we live on the edge of the Genesee River, and we live on the edge of Finger Lakes. So I'm going to be barefoot water skiing and all those Finger Lakes this summer. I'm going to go out and have some fun. As soon as it warms up, of course. <laughs> All right, so uh, first of all, a truly inspiring story. I'm, I'm, uh, I've learned quite a bit about the passion mentor. Uh, you, I, you are, that is your term. I'm going to let you have that term. I'll refer to you now from this point on as a passion mentor every time I, your name comes up in conversation. So uh, before you get out of here, let everybody know what is the easiest and best way to get in touch with you. Uh, if you've got a website, any kind of social media stuff you want to put out there. And of course, you, you need to tell us how to find that book that you showed me just a second ago. And then, of course, kind of a timeline of when the next book will be ready. Wow, that's a good question. First of all, you can find me on the web at karenpots.com. You can also find me at the Passion School, yourpassionschool.com. 
So those are the two places you can find me on social media at Ageless Passions. And as far as finding the book, you can find the book at pretty much any major bookstore, especially Amazon. It can be ordered from anywhere. You had a major publisher with it. And the timeline for the next book is um, when I get off the water. <laughs> so you're in the, are you in the writing? Okay. You're in the writing process right now, or, or is this the conceptual process? Where, where are you at in the process of the second book? Yeah, I'm in the process of writing it now. Okay. Yeah. Just not going to be in a huge. Um, I have a couple of more people that I want to interview. I understand. Because it has to. Richard Branson, they're on my list. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, so Oprah and Richard Branson. That's that's two big, that's heavy hitters to go after right there. Look, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, Karen. I have uh, really enjoyed our conversation today. And um, like I said, I'd, I'd love to touch base with you in the future when that second book's a little closer to coming out. And uh, we can get an update on that. How does that sound? Okay. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, ma'am. And as always, guys, Wally out. Hey, guys, quick shout out to Timothy O. Davis of Ridgewood Recording Studios. His studio offers a full line of music production ranging from song demos and singles to fully produced albums. He focuses on excellence at every level of the recording and production process and will work with you for your project-specific needs. So remember, guys, Timothy O. Davis. Reach out to him at timothydavis.org front slash Ridgewood Studios. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner.